Hello, Lisa. Hello, Diana. Welcome to Should We? A podcast with potential. We are here at Lisa's place. It is really sunny outside. I can see the park out the window. I just turned my my mouth, which is not a good thing when we're speaking into a microphone. So, um, it it also happens to be very windy today. So if you're lucky, you might hear the whistling and blowing outside. Yes, that would be good. That's that's the weather report. <laughs> there we are. In case you were wondering. <laughs> So we have a few questions today, uh, as usual. The first one is one that we've been dancing around for a while, and that is, should we do culture? Diana, this is something I can answer with a resounding yes. And I want to give the full backstory on how I do culture lately. So, uh... One of the main ways I do culture is that I go to the ballet here in San Francisco, the San Francisco Ballet. And this came about for a lot of reasons. So I think we talked maybe last time about the fact that I used to be a dancer, and uh, so ballet is very close to my heart. But also, when I came to San Francisco over two years ago, I was very lonely and very disoriented. It really took a pretty long time for the city to take with me and for me to feel connected and rooted here. And um, so I was just kind of looking for ways to, to find something that would feel familiar in, in a good way. And I realized that the San Francisco Ballet is really just one of the best ballet companies in the world. I had admired it from afar as I was growing up and there were dancers who I really uh, thought of as role models here at the San Francisco Ballet. Um, But I, I had never seen them perform in person and so I thought, okay, if there's one great thing for me about being here, it's that I could watch the San Francisco Ballet. Um, so I, I got season tickets just for myself last year, and I saw every, almost every um, show, not every performance, but each, each of the ballets they did last year. And it might sound kind of funny that I was going by myself, but I was so comfortable with that. Um, and I actually wrote about this in my personal newsletter. Um, first of all, the the company is incredible. They really are so talented, and the range of what they could do is just really incredible. Um, uh, but what struck me was the audience. I mean, I don't think I had ever seen such an animated ballet audience. They were so, they were loud. I mean, you would, you would hear people like calling out the names of their favorite dancer as they came on the stage and, and yelling bravo and brava and, um, just leaping to their feet for a standing ovation. They would 
they would gasp <laughs> when, you know, a dancer jumped particularly high or turned one extra time. They really noticed those details. Um, and they would audibly show their disappointment if, like, for example, a casting change was made at the last minute. The voice would come over uh, the speakers and say, like, please note the following changes to tonight's cast. And if it was somebody they didn't want or they didn't come to see, people would, like, yell or, or just, like, moan loudly. And also they, they whisper to, they don't even whisper, they just talk through the performance, which could be annoying, but it's fascinating because these are like extreme fans. They also talk to you, or to me, as maybe especially since I was alone, they would ask me, you know, how many years had I been going? Cause they had been going this many years and was this my my permanent seat? Because that that was theirs, you know? I mean, I just felt like I had found this community that was so different from any other, like, and also mostly much older than me, which felt really good. They matched my spirit age. <laughs> so just, I could go on about this for a long time, but that's how I do culture here, and, and it works so well for me. Um, and also, you came with me once last year. I came with you once, and as you were describing your ballet experiences, I was transported back to that moment, which was so beautiful, so exquisite, and also uh, really is a good example of my challenge with culture. So when I say culture, I mean performances and theaters in this moment. like. Um, I grew up going to a lot of piano performances as kind of uh, a supplement to my piano playing, um, my piano practice, and uh, I would occasionally go to orchestra performances, and I played in an orchestra and a band and sang in a choir for a really long time, sometimes all three at once, and so I was at a lot of performances. Often I would be performing, but I also sort of had to watch the other orchestras. Um, so there was a lot of uh, theater time in my youth. And uh, the challenge for me with performances in the theaters is that I can't seem to stop my mind from racing in really interesting ways. Like the thing for me that's great about going to a, uh, going to a symphony or going to the ballet is that I come out with a whole new life plan at the end. But, <laughs> but the experience of that is that I know it would be very rude for me to have my phone out, but it's also really hard for me to just be present and pay attention, um, even when it's a discipline that I know inside and out. So one theory would be like, oh, it's just because I can't appreciate the details, which is certainly plausible for ballet. Um, but it was that way for piano as well. And I you know, was very intense about piano. So I don't know, I, I would say that this is like a, an offshoot of my overall rumination impulse, but I can't really feel bad about it either because I think that a lot of my major life decisions have come about as the result of having two hours to 
think in a an artful setting, you know, mm-hmm. in a setting where everything is just so and done with passion, but I'm not really paying full attention. Um, so specifically during that ballet performance, I concocted my plan for returning to product management from the strategy role I was in. Right. I remember this. And it had been, you know, a seed of an idea before it started. And we spoke about it as sort of the curtains came up. And by the end, I had basically figured out, you know, which emails to send, who to contact, when it had gone from a seed of an idea to a very concrete plan. And I don't know if I would be in the place I am today without (laughs) that. But I also feel like I didn't really experience the ballet. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I guess the question for me is, if I really tried, could I have a different experience of performances in theaters? Or can I appreciate it for what it is and bring that into my life in other ways? Because it seems actually kind of productive. And the only hesitation I have is that the feeling of being there and having my mind racing is of my mind racing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a very, um, it's, uh, it's not a sanguine state. And I usually aim for sanguine states when possible, um, or like very focused, creative, uh, productive states. But this is a Mm. weird halfway point that I don't know how to categorize. It's very interesting that you say all of this, uh, because I, I also experience some of that. Even though I'm like fully invested in the ballet, I don't pay attention the whole time. I'm also daydreaming. And I think that's that's really what it is is that it's creating space of like you know we we went to Giselle which is like a very long very traditional story ballet and so you create like two and a half or three hours to daydream basically in collaboration with the artists on stage or sometimes just with yourself and and in the in those moments it's like the ballet is this backdrop of the potential of human experience like like in front of your eyes is like people basically flying without any other without any contraptions helping them you know or like doing really remarkable things pushing themselves to as far as they can go just with their bodies and and I think that must be connected with the, the idea of also figuring things out for yourself. I really like that way of looking at it. It's very comforting to me to know that you daydream too, and probably all people daydream. And maybe maybe the thing to experiment with is like, what if I just didn't feel bad about that? You know, mm-hmm. then is it something that if I understand it as a package deal, I can experience and relish in its own right? Um, can I make a small detour here? Mm-hmm. Okay, my my small detour, which could be an enormous one, <laughs> is just that um, for those who have experienced religious services, I feel like there are also a lot of parallels. So at different points in my life, I've I've attended different types of very different types of religious services, and in all of them, I have daydreamed. Right, and, and I think this is really common and. And you feel even more guilty about it. <laughs> and and um, I, I think I had advice. I don't know if it was from a minister or a rabbi. <laughs> 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 uh, 
who at one point when I was, you know, probably a young adult said to me, you know, that's totally fine and natural. Um, maybe just try to come away with one thing that changes your perspective and then let yourself daydream. <laughs> like once you grab that one thing, it was worth it yeah. showing up. That is a really nice way of thinking of it, too. I think that's part of where the guilt comes from for me is also my own religious experiences, which I don't have anymore, but have had in the past. Um, And I think that there are so many parallels with meditation as well, where, you know, the goal is to continually return to focus, not to somehow be in this transcendent state the whole time, but to drift and come back, drift and come back and just notice that you're drifting enough to bring yourself back right and that's what it feels like to be at the ballet or at a symphony is a lot of drifting and then something extreme happens there's a leap or there's you know a a pause in the music and uh, then it begins again and you get goosebumps and it is this really uh, embodied thing it really is. I also find that my, my legs kind of twitch a little bit. I can't help it. <laughs> but anyways, um, speaking of like physical things, maybe mm-hmm. I, we can make this transition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we have a question that has to do with our physical spaces. Mm-hmm. Diana, should we have gallery walls? Well, (laughs) I was late to our recording session today because I was considering exactly this question, so it's extremely present for me. Um, So I just moved into an apartment with my partner uh, three-ish months ago, and uh, we've been ordering furniture that typically takes six to eight weeks to arrive, so in the end it's going to be, you know, a four, five, six-month process of uh, nesting. So we had a whole coat closet, the floor of which is covered in framed and unframed art that we've collected over uh, the past near decade. And I knew it was waiting. I knew that we could put it up anytime we wanted, but I wanted to wait until the major furniture pieces were in place just so that we could get a sense for scale and so that we didn't prematurely hang things at the wrong height, etc. So now we have the two biggest pieces of furniture in place, a couch and a bed frame. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We're really moving up in the world. Uh, That's that's exactly. Eric sent his dad a a photo of our bed, and he wrote back, like, you're moving up in the world. What's next? (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, it feels amazing to finally not be sleeping on a mattress on the floor. Now you can sleep and recline. Exactly, exactly. So so everything's in place. Not everything, but two major pieces. So today I decided the next big upgrade that's within reach is uh, art on the walls. And so I laid out all of our art, maybe 20 or 30 pieces, Uh, a lot of it just, uh, you know, our own, you know, a bunch of photographs I took in college that I had framed and, you know, a few painted canvases that we've purchased and some prints that we'd had framed at various points. And it took up like the entire floor of our living room and kitchen area. Um, I love those photos, by the way, the ones that you took. I remember when you did that project. Yeah, yeah, I love them too. I'm really, uh, there's a funny detour story about that, which is that 
I took them and I love them. I took them with a, I think it's called Mamiya camera from Japan. And it was a medium format film camera and Harvard University and its infinite generosity. <laughs> uh, I mean, Harvard taketh and Harvard giveth. Exactly. You know? <laughs> they, took, they took a lot from me, including a lot of money that I still owe them. Um, but <laughs> they also gave me as much film as I wanted. Yeah. Um, no payment required. They just handed it out like candy and I took everything I could get. So I took one photography class. It was a film class. We shot film, then had the negatives delivered, and then scanned the negatives and edited them and printed them in the photo lab. That's sort of like the era that I took a photography class in. Um, so, but what was interesting is that whether through you know the camera or something in what I found attractive or whatever, they all had this uh, really like pale red and uh, like cloudy milky blue color scheme in totally different rooms and times mm. and. Maybe it was something that I was attracted to in Photoshop. Like, I can't even remember at this point, but I remember the teaching assistant commenting on how consistent the color scheme was and how weird, how odd that was. So anyway, I have this collection of photos and um, I had four of them framed at Eric's urging, like very soon after college, which cost me a small fortune at the time. Um, And... uh, but I had already like shipped them across the country and they were totally crumpled up kind of. And the people at the framing store were like, we're going to have to have you sign a waiver that says we didn't do this. Like, we, this can't be undone. Like this print, you know, this print is what it is. Um, and I actually had lost the edited, uh, the edited photos. My hard drive crashed just before I graduated. So I have the negative still, but the edited versions that have this incredible symmetry are gone forever. Those are the only only copies. So I had them framed. They have these, uh, they have these dents. And then I have a few more big prints that I recently claimed to Eric. I had just like recycled and he was like mortified. And it turns out that I didn't make that decision. I I, like found them again. Anyway, so this is a long story about those photos, but um, there were many, many, many pieces of art on the ground. And my idea and the idea that Eric and I had sort of batted around was that on the wall that's very tall when we walk into our bedroom we should have a quote-unquote gallery wall that was like a jumble an artful jumble of photos that would solve the problem of too much art for too small a space but in a creative way and so looking at the floor it seemed assured that we could make this happen and it was just a question of the best arrangement but as we like looked at all the art together and one of our Uh, one of our decision points was like, this is the moment, you know, we've never moved into a place together from scratch. So this is the moment if one of us doesn't like one of the things we have to make that observation because we shouldn't just have things because we don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. Like we should know what we both like because we have very similar compatible tastes. So we should only have the most special, sparking, joyous things on the wall. That's what I was going to say. It gets complicated when everything needs to spark joy for both for of you. For both people, exactly. So we went through that exercise and we started like eliminating things and sorting things into categories where it's like we like it, but we don't need it. And, you know, there's no clear place for it in the home. There's no clear place for this whole category of things. And by the end, we had just enough art for everything but the giant wall wherein we walk into our bedroom. And I felt some relief because the jumble, the artful jumble, I had only ever seen as a convenient solution, not as something that I wanted in its own right. Oh, man, that really... 
that really hits it on the nose for me. I have to say, I've never had a gallery wall, I don't think. And that's mainly been because Stephen is really against gallery walls. Uh, he's really, symmetry is very important to him. And, uh, but for me, I think I was kind of into them for a little bit. They were such a trend for a while and, and they're still a thing. Um, but I think that when they work best, they're actually extremely calculated and strategic and maybe like a number of the pieces have been acquired specifically for the gallery wall to create some balance and symmetry within the, the thing itself. You know, it's very purposeful. Mm -hmm. it's, I think it probably would not work with the, all the random things we have just trying to lump them together uh, to fill up space. So it's just what you say. I think it often doesn't work as a solution for random things you've collected. It ha the other thing, the other reason why I've never had one is because I think when done well, they're very measured, mm -hmm. very precise about the space between everything. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I cannot do that kind of precision, not with, not with hanging art. So, um, you know, Often with like one big thing, you can kind of eyeball it. Like it's enormous, just takes up most right. of the wall, you know? Or, yeah, so, but, or you can spend, I'm willing to invest the time in precisely hanging one small thing, but I am not willing to map out and measure a whole bunch of things. No way. Yeah, what I picture when I think of that is some sort of, computer program that I don't have and I'm not good at <laughs> that people who do this for a living have yeah. and like having that program that may or may not exist but in my head exists is the difference between the outcome being good and being bad um, so yeah I think you're exactly right that the artful jumble is often much more planned than it appears and if you're going to put that kind of planning in you might as well put it into something singular mm -hmm. you know Diana, this might be the first time we have answered a question with a unanimous no, like don't bother with gallery walls, for both of us at least. Yeah, it's a weird feeling. I know. <laughs> it's very interesting though. It feels good yeah. to just close that out and be like, I'm just going to answer that question for myself. Am I having a gallery wall in my current life? No. Am I likely to have one in the future? No. No, definitely not. And in fact, what we have uh, for now decided to do instead is have that giant central wall completely blank. Um, because you, not every wall should be filled. There should be room for the next thing you find. Yeah, yeah. And I also want to add that this is not really a criticism of other people's gallery walls they can do them or not do them they can do them well or not well you yeah know? totally it's just for us no this is should we not should you you can do whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh. well um should we <laughs> should we move on to our last segment yes we should we should uh 
Lisa, should we do the artist's way? Oh, Diana. <laughs> oh, should we? <laughs> why, why shouldn't we do the artist's way? Okay, well, this is a little bit of a, a like a loaded question because I, I have done the artist's way and I highly recommend it. But I don't know the answer. Have you? So I have read most of the book, but I didn't actually do the homework and I didn't read all the book. I'm I'm like an artist's way dropout, <laughs> which I can't believe I'm saying that. The artist's way is meant for me and I use many of the principles from it all the time. The idea of synchronicity Mm-hmm. It's in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that basically sometimes all you j- need to do is just kind of open yourself up to possibility mm-hmm. and and maybe even like state what you want or mm-hmm. document it or whatever. Acknowledge that you have a certain desire or intention and it might just come to you. Sometimes it does. Yeah, exactly. Like my, one of my big takeaways, that's such businessy language. One of the things that I took from (laughs) (laughs) the artist's way is that art is about attention and noticing. And if you decide to pay attention to one idea, you'll notice all the ingredients that would help you get there. So um, being really intentional about where you put your attention uh, was a great experience for me and a great practice that I've tried to carry forward. The other, uh, the other few techniques from the book that are central are artists' uh, artists' dates, which is the idea that you take yourself on a solo replenishing journey once a week to uh, sort of experience something visual and sensory. Um, sensory is more important than visual Uh, and that fuels everything else and that it has to be solo so that you can have your own experience of it and then morning pages so the idea that first thing in the morning you do a brain dump Um, the Julia Cameron recommends doing it long-handed but I have not had uh, anything bad happen to me from doing it on my computer so I continue (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, all of those practices have stuck with me and I've stuck with them. Um, and I think it's so funny and true that you would read the book, but not all of it and also not do it because (laughs) I did the artist's way last year, like 12 weeks, very dedicated. I gave myself an accountability partner. Like I really did it, but previously I had quote unquote done it for four of the 12 weeks one summer after signing a longhand contract with myself as prescribed by the book that I would follow it all the way through. So I should have and did feel immense guilt about breaking this promise to myself that I really intended to follow through on. But I also had to forgive myself because at the time I was in the middle of like a summer internship and a lot was changing and it just wasn't gonna happen but I still had a good experience with the part of it that I did. And then last year, when I was a few years into living in Berlin, and it was a time of transition, but it was also a moment of in-betweenness, and I could tell that and sense that, and I was trying to figure out how to give that time more structure and um, form, 
And one morning while I was journaling, which is a practice that I had, uh, that I was greatly influenced in by the artist's journal, I mean, by the artist's sway, I was like, oh, I remember what I need. Like, I need the artist's sway. And so I decided to embark on it again. So I tell this story to say that I uh, gave up on it, felt sheepish about it, but still saw so much good in it and was able from the book to from what I'd read of the book to have both this sense that one really should do it all the way through, but that you're not doing that for anyone but you. And so if you had your reasons for not truly doing it the first time, you can let those go and it's a tool that you can approach again whenever you are ready. So I think my answer to the question is, we should do the artist's way when the time is right. Yes, I like this answer. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I I think that it's it's so funny to me that you really dug into like the practices and kind of like I mean, you love practices mm-hmm. and processes and um I the, the one thing I took away from my halfway reading was if you just sit back (laughs) be be open in your mind stuff might happen that you want to happen like magic (laughs) so I think this really speaks to another another duality that I have which is that externally and and in my work in my day-to-day I'm very responsible we've talked about Mm -hmm. this I love being responsible but there's also a side of me that is extremely lazy. <laughs> and like, you know, when I have a little weekend downtime, it takes a lot to to work myself up to like getting out and doing something that I know would be good for me, something I should do. That my default is I would spend a good chunk of the weekend basically just scrolling through Pinterest or now rent the runway <laughs> if I could or you know reading chunks of books but not finishing them mm-hmm. just kind of poking at anything that feels kind of restorative but I but I don't have to do anything mm-hmm. yeah I mean that's a really good way to spend weekends like yeah. I you know I love that too and the artist way only worked for me last summer because it met a present need like it filled a hole that I was able to identify partly because I'd read part of it before and Mm -hmm. so like many things um as soon as you know that the antidote exists or the medicine exists that doesn't mean you need to take it in that moment you just understand it well enough to have it occur to you the next time you have like a formless urge or desire. Um, and yeah, I I would love to see what would happen if you did it someday, but I don't think it's the time yet. I yeah. mean, it doesn't sound like it is. It might, it might be the time sometime soon. But an- another thing I just want to acknowledge that I really love about it even though I haven't done the full program is that it has an end we love things that are not forever promises Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's a 12-week program I love that and I think the idea is you take a lot of it with you you hopefully you continue with morning pages I think a lot of people do Mm -hmm. um 
but I, I like that the, the thing itself is kind of finite. Yeah, that was important to me too. And actually there were some major life decisions that I agreed with myself that I wouldn't make until the program was over. But if the program had lasted forever, then I couldn't have made that call, you know? So it was really nice to have it be defined. And in fact, I've been wishing for, but not actively researching, something resembling an artist's way intermediate. <laughs> like I want another program to be in the in the wait, waiting in the wings. I wouldn't necessarily start it right away, but I want to know what the next 12 week arc would be. Uh, if I didn't want to do the same thing, same exact thing twice, but I wanted a similar, um, a similar unfolding. Okay, so Artist Way Pro. Artist Way. Advanced <laughs> level two. Intermediate, intermediate, intermediate. level two. Okay, yeah. yes, we, we should, we should allow ourselves to achieve mastery over our lifetimes. Yes, exactly. Um, leave, leave one blank wall to fill. <laughs> exactly.